Today we're starting a new sermon series for the summer. We're going to be setting our hearts on God uh, with the help of the Psalms. The Psalms are perfect for setting our hearts on God. They free your heart. What I mean by that is every single human emotion that is possible is expressed in the book of Psalms. And God is inviting them from his people. You know, the book of Psalms was the songbook, the hymnal for God's Old Testament people. So everything in there has his stamp of approval. This is, in other words, what I want from my people to sing to me, is what God says. And every single human emotion from anger to despair are on the lips of God's people in these psalms. And so they free your heart to be honest before God. Another reason the Psalms are perfect for setting our hearts on God this summer is that they form your heart. What I mean is sometimes there are emotions that we don't resonate with in the book of Psalms. I don't know if you've encountered this before. You want to read some scripture at the beginning of your day. You open the book of Psalms and you start reading and you're like, ah, that one's not working for me. You flip the page. That one's not working for me. You flip the page. Nope, nope. And then you go to your go-to psalm, you know, and they're like, okay, this one, this one works for me. And you start to think, what is there for me in this? Well, this is important to realize. The psalms are not merely expressive, but they're also formative. In other words, God wants you to sing these and to pray these, even when, maybe especially when, you don't feel it. And over time, God will shape your heart into the type of person who will indeed feel those things. You might be thinking, man, many of the Psalms deal with injustice and they don't resonate with me. God could be inviting you to be singing and praying these Psalms of injustice so that you start to feel and weep with those who are weeping in this nation and across the world. They form your heart. And then finally, they focus our hearts. So the Psalms are meant to refocus and recalibrate our hearts on God. They're doggedly God-centered, the Psalms. And in this age of sort of self-centeredness and self-absorption, there is nothing better. This is a tonic to that malady. And so for the next two weeks, we are going to be looking at Psalm 3 and Psalm 4. Uh, Traditionally, these two Psalms have been used as morning and evening prayers, respectively. And I'm excited personally to explore these two psalms together for two reasons. Number one, morning and evening can be the two most difficult moments of our day. Amen? Morning and evening. It's hard to ignore the burdens of your soul when you first wake up. And it's hard to ignore the burdens of your soul when you're lying down the rest. So I'm excited to explore these morning and evening prayers for that reason. I'm also excited to explore these morning and evening prayers because what we think and feel, and tell me if this resonates with you, what we think and what we feel in these two windows of our day have an inordinate or an outsized effect on how we think and feel in the middle during our day. And so this summer, I would like to encourage you, to challenge you even, to begin and end your day with these God-given prayers. Psalm 3 and Psalm 4. So first, let's look at Psalm 3. This is our morning prayer. 
I'll read the text. You can follow along. We'll pray and see what God has for us. A Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. This is God's word. Lord, may the words of my mouth with the meditation of all of our hearts here this morning be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. We need you to open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. Because our sins are many, our defenses against you are high and are strong, and our biases are great, but you are greater, and we ask that we could see you, Jesus, in this prayer this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in my experience, waking up is hard to do. Can I get an amen? Waking up is hard to do. While in bed, I scan the horizon of what's coming in my day or week or month, and I see every single thing that could possibly go wrong in its worst case scenario kind of coming at me over the hill like invading armies. I wish I were exaggerating. I love how Tish Warren describes this moment. She writes, I always try to stay in bed longer. My body is greedy for sleep. Just a few more minutes. But it's not just sleep I'm greedy for. It's that in-between space. That liminal consciousness where I'm cozy. Not quite alert to the demands that await me. I don't want to face the warring. Big and small. That lies ahead of me today. I don't want to don an identity today. I want to stay in the womb of my covers a little longer. See, I don't want to wake up because I don't want to wake up to problems. You see, I don't want to wake up because I don't want to wake up to responsibilities that could go wrong. I don't want to wake up to conflict that could happen. I don't want to wake up to complications. I don't want to wake up to confusion. I don't want to wake up to unknowns. I'd rather stay asleep. And isn't that what we do? We stay asleep. Even if we get off of our bed. Even if we take our shower and brush our teeth and get in our car. We stay asleep. Asleep to others. Asleep to God. Asleep to life. And if you can relate, this morning prayer will be a gift to you. Because God is saying to you, before your coffee, before you brush your teeth, before you open your phone, especially before you open your phone, okay? Especially before you open your phone, before you brush your teeth, anything. What if you came to me, God is saying, with these life-giving words? These words teach us, I think, how to approach our day when we fear the worst. As three movements, we'll look at each in turn. So the first is this. Release your burdens. 
first thing this prayer requires of us is to release our burdens. And this has two steps. We first name our burdens. The first thing that this prayer prompts you to do is to name your burdens, to name them. In order to release our burdens, we have to know what they are. I'll say that again because it's easy to miss, but it's really simple. In order to release our burdens, we need to know and acknowledge what they are. David tells God in this psalm exactly what is going on in his life. He does not minimize his burdens, but neither does he exaggerate them. He has this amazing capacity in my mind to access his burdens and then give words to them. And we, we too should work on this as Christians. We should work on the ability to, give, to have access to our burdens and to name them, to put words on them. And so David simply names them. And we know what they are for David because he, he tells us in the subtitle. I don't know if you know this, but when you see these little words in all caps next to the, ch- uh, next to the chapter, those aren't the editors of the translation of Bible that you have. That is actually God's inspired word. And so what we have here is we say we see a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. David is telling you exactly where his burdens were. And if you wanted, you could look at 2 Samuel chapter 15 and find out exactly what his burdens were. I see three categories of burdens in this psalm. Internal burdens. So he names his internal burdens. David is running from Absalom, who is not a foreign king. It's his son. To me, those two words, his son, are the most heartbreaking words in this psalm. His heart is broken. Surely. His son has become an enemy. I know you two have internal burdens. People in life who have broken your heart. Or are currently breaking your heart. Name them. And bring them to God. There's horizontal burdens as well. In verse 1, he names them. He looks out and he sees his enemies multiplying against him. You too have circumstances going on in your life that feel like armies multiplying against you. Name them. What are they? And then in verse 2, David gets vertical. He starts internal, he goes horizontal, and then he goes vertical in verse 2. David's enemies are calling into question his status as God's own. Many are saying, of my soul there is no salvation for him in God. And this burdens David because David is sensitive to God. And he's experienced God's calling in his life. And so he just names this. He names this. He says to God, this is what they're saying. Is this true? I know you too have disappointments, burdens, and doubts before God. Name them. The Psalms invite you to name them. Bring them to Him. So we name our burdens, but then we release our burdens to him. So only after we name them can we release them. And that is what David does. He says at the very beginning of this psalm, Oh, Lord. 
This is a prayer to the Lord. So what this is, this is very different from Eastern meditation. Eastern meditation is naming your burdens and releasing your burdens, but you're releasing your burdens into the sky. You're releasing your burdens into the nothingness. You're really ultimately minimizing your burdens by doing that. What this prayer does is it actually says, no, your burdens are actually worse than you realize. When you name them, you know what? It goes deeper, far, far deeper than you even realize. But you are releasing them to the sovereign Lord, not to the empty sky. And so it's a very different thing than mere meditation. You are in the presence of God and you are releasing your burdens to God in his presence. Sometimes when I'm praying, and I learned this from others, I literally put my hands up when I'm, when I'm assessing my burdens, and then I put them down when I'm releasing my burdens. God made our bodies, you know. And oftentimes when we align our bodies with our prayers, this is why we sit down to confess our, faith, our sin, for instance. When we align our bodies with our prayers, God moves. And He works through that. I don't know if you can relate to this, but most mornings uh, when I walk out of the house to work, I have like so many things in my hands. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like you're just carrying, like I have, literally I have like four books kind of right here. I'm pretty good with that one. I've done that for so long. I'm okay with that one. I have my bag balanced on my opposite shoulder. And then I have like an apple in my left hand. And then in my pinky finger, my, my keys are hanging down. Right like that, and then um, and then I have the audacity to sort of get the trash with my middle finger down here, <laughs> and then I'm like, well, I needed my coffee, right? And I can't come back to get my coffee. I need it now, and so I sort of balance my coffee on top of the books, maybe underneath the crook of my armpit. You know what I'm saying? And so here I am. I'm walking to the, we have a garage that's detached, and so I'm walking to my garage, and I'm just saying, please be unlocked, please be unlocked, please be unlocked, please be unlocked. And when I'm actually saying that, what I'm saying is, I really hope my wife was the last person to go through here because I always lock it and she doesn't. Inevitably, it's locked. And so what I try to do is I try to unlock the thing while holding everything instead of placing it all down. Because placing it all down would be, of course, too much to ask. Why do I do this? I mean, how easy would it be to simply lay it down? Lay it down. And the same goes with our burdens. We can try to carry them. And we do. I mean, I would encourage you next time you are balancing things to your walk to your car, to your walk to your office, to think about that. To think about all the burdens that you yourself are carrying. And you're not laying them down. You're not letting go of them to God. You're trying to balance them. You're trying to minimize their impact. You're trying to do everything you can except... Get down on your knees and set them down. Because that's what it would require. There's some pride at work in there, at least in my heart. I don't want to get down and release them. How do we carry them? I mean, some of you may be like, I don't carry them. But let me just ask a few diagnostic questions. I think some of us, we carry our burdens by trying to fix them ourselves. This is another way of carrying our burdens. Uh, usually this just means that we make a bigger mess than what we have started. And we become exhausted and burned out in the meantime. 
Many of us carry our own burdens instead of laying them before the Lord by silver lining them. Do you know what I mean by that? We optimize our burdens. We say, well, at least. Have you ever caught yourself saying, well, at least to the things that are going on in your life? Well, at least this or well, at least this. But that too multiplies the problem. And some of us were just really excellent at ignoring our burdens. We've just shut down that part of our soul. And this is really dangerous because we might think that we're not carrying them, but oh, we are. We really are. And the more we ignore, the more we think we can take on. And the more we take on, the more terrible the crash. So what if instead we named our burdens without any spin? And then we release them to the Lord. I think the church could take a page out of the AA big book. The Alcoholics Anonymous big book. This book understands that the healthiest person is the helpless person. They understand that sobriety does not come from willpower, but from surrender. Surrender to God. Bottoming out. And so what if each and every morning we engaged with David in this psalm, in the first couple verses of Psalm 3, a self-imposed bottoming out? Amen? A self-imposed bottoming out. We come to the end of ourselves with the help of this psalm. We name our burdens and we say to God, Uncle, I can't do it. I'm not going to fix it. I'm not going to silver lining it. And I'm definitely not going to ignore it. I'm going to name it and I'm going to give it to you, O Lord. That's the first thing we do. We release our burdens. The second thing this psalm teaches us to do is to rehearse the truth. So in verses 3 through 5, after we release our burdens, we need to rehearse the truth. Now let me just say something about the truth. When I say the truth, I'm not saying cognitive truth. I'm saying personal truth. Because in the scriptures, knowing is, is, is every bit as much personal as it is cognitive. How we get to know the truth in the scriptures is not merely memorizing it and then being able to spit it out on a scantron. How we get to know the truth is by rehearsing it into our hearts and by God speaking the truth to us in a personal way. So what we need from this psalm is we need God to say to our hearts what is true about you. Once we release our burdens to him, we're we're vulnerable. Aren't we? We have no defenses. And that is a terrifying thing. It's also a wonderful thing because now we're in a posture to receive what is true about you from the living God. And in this psalm, we hear a lot of things. God is saying, your circumstances are covered by my strong arm. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. That word for shield is literally my covering. And so God is saying to you, your circumstances are covered by me. God is saying to you, your shame is made glorious. You are made glorious by my face. In verse 3, it says, you are my glory, my glory. We're used to saying God is glorious, and he is. But in this psalm, David is saying, by being in your presence, God, by being united to you, by your face shining on me, I am made glorious. I'm reflecting and refracting your glory. I'm made wonderfully. And I'm in your image. And I'm saved and rescued by you. 
And the more you look at me, the more glorious I become. And some of you have this like really twisted self-image that you think you got from the Scriptures. The scriptures talk a lot about sin. We are sinners. But then we take that and we say, oh, I am just a worm. And we forget all the affirmations that God has over His people. Maybe some of you are like, oh, I've seen the health wealth gospel and I know that it's all about affirmation. It's all about you're amazing, you're amazing, and you're a little bit scared of that as you should be. But do not allow that sort of caution to keep you from God saying you are glorious. You are my people and I love you. I mean, Paul says in his word in 2 Corinthians 3, he says, for the Lord is a spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed, speaking of Moses wearing the veil when he looked at God, having the veil removed, that's each one of you in Christ, having the veil removed, can see and reflect the glory of God. You are now reflecting the glory of God. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, Paul says, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. God is saying over you in this psalm that your shame is made glorious by my face. It's gone. No more shame. God is saying to us in this psalm, your heavy head is lifted by my hand. I can often tell what kind of day I'm having by my posture. Amen. I'm down. I'm literally down. I'm like hiding from the world. And we see here in Psalm 3, verse 3, the Lord lifts our head. We can face the truth. We can face the day. We can even look at our enemies in the eyes and not despair because His hand is under our chin. The Lord is saying, you are sustained by my watch. In verse 5, verse 5 says, I lay down and slept and I woke again. For the Lord sustained me. What David is doing here is he's simply rehearsing that God is the great watchman. When we sleep, we are most vulnerable, aren't we? We miss out on this in our current day with ADT sort of security systems and with locks on our doors and all kinds of protective measures that we've made in our brains. But when we sleep, we are the most vulnerable. And there's something amazing about the grace of God that we wake up safe. David's giving praise for that. He's saying, you sustained me. Tish Warren again. When you wake, you've been given new mercies, she writes, and a new day, both of which are completely unearned and undeserved, but given again out of sheer grace and abundance. God is saying, you've been sustained by my watch. And God is saying in verse 4, your cries are heard by my ear. I cried aloud to the Lord, verse 4, and He answered me from His holy hill. Shakespeare has a phrase for how most of us, I think, approach prayer. Prayer is when I trouble deaf heaven with my bootless cries. Like most of us sort of confess with our tongue a theology of prayer. It says God hears me, but we believe in our heart that all of our prayers is simply troubling death heaven. And the first thing in the morning, what we're doing is we're simply rehearsing the truth that God hears your cries. That's what we do. Local pastor, uh, Rich Nathan, 
he writes this amazing story. He says in 1915, a doctor who was investigating infant mortality in American orphanages found that 90% of American orphans died in childhood. 90%. He goes on, after World War I, physician Fritz Talbot studied marasmus, or failure to thrive, in German orphanages. And he watched an elderly German woman carrying babies on her hip. And one of the hospital workers said, one of the hospital workers says, oh, that's old Anna over there. When we have done everything medically we can do for a baby, we give the baby to her and the baby gets better. We turn it over to old, to old Anna. And she's always successful. I learned from personal experience that babies need touched. Every NICU in the world takes us for granted. Kangaroo care, they say, does miracles. It's not really a miracle. It's just the way God made us. We are built for touch. We are built so that our cries would be heard. Every morning we need to rehearse this truth and experience God's touch as he says these words, as he pours his love into your heart, to use Paul's phrase. Pours his love into your heart. That's a, that's a touch, that's an experience of God saying, this is what's true about you. So you enter into a posture of humility, and then God says, you're covered, you're glorious, you're lifted, you're sustained, and you're heard by me. And there's one final movement in this psalm, and it's a reorientation to God. So we, re, we sort of release our burdens, we rehearse the truth, and then we reorient ourselves to God. And not just God, but other people. So God will always move you toward giving. Scholars point out that there's three kinds of people in the world. There's stealers, there's sellers, and there's givers. Stealers, sellers, and givers. Stealers take and manipulate in order to get. Sellers, they barter in order to get. Their hope is that in this marketplace exchange, I get what I want and you get what you want. A giver is of an entirely different order. A giver doesn't give in order to get. A giver gives to give. We know people who give to get and it's really, really, really awkward when they give to us and we know it's to get something. Awkward might be too soft a word if we're being manipulated. Givers give and that's what God does for us. After he gives and gives and gives and gives, at the end of this prayer, he turns us around, he reorients us to God, and he reorients us to ourselves, to, not, uh, to others. I just want you to notice one thing about these final two verses. It moves from I and me. If you just take a look, me, 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 verse 4, I, verse 5, I, I, verse 6, I. And then suddenly in these final two verses, it's you, 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 you. And at the very end, your people.
It moves from I and our concerns to God, His glory, what He's doing, His salvation, and His people. It tells us, this psalm tells us that it is possible to move from self-absorbed worry, which is how I wake up every morning, to self-forgetful love. In fact, I've experienced this personally. The best part of this past year was my morning walk to school with my family. Our entire family would walk the two blocks it takes to get to the elementary school. And one way I knew that I prayed like Psalm 3 teaches me to pray is how much attention I would give to my family on that walk versus me simply rehearsing my worries as I'm walking or pulling out my phone and looking at my emails as we're walking. If I released, if I rehearsed the truth, and if I then reoriented myself, then I could love others. I could really give because I had something to give. I wasn't looking from others what only God could give me, and that freed me up to give. And so this is a morning prayer for all of us. First thing in the morning, I would encourage you to pray. Pray these very words. If you're going through an especially hard time, I recognize that it's hard to come up with words to even pray. Sitting in silence before God is a great option. Groaning before God is a great option. And I would also suggest reading the Psalms is a great option. You don't have to be creative. God's not asking for your creative prayers when you're burdened. Part of the reason He gave us the Psalms is because He knew His people would be burdened. And as you do, allow it to move you into your own circumstances, from David's to your own. I love this from uh, Derek Kidner. He says, this is a prayer not just for David, but the ordinary believer who can reflect, listen, this is so gold, that his troubles are nothing besides David's, and David's expectation for rescue and salvation is nothing besides ours. What is he saying? What he's talking about is that we know more than David knows about salvation. Because we live on this side of the cross. We've seen the Messiah that David only hoped in. Jesus is risen. And by his spirit, according to Jesus, we have it better than if he were here physically with us. Because we have the Holy Spirit. We know more about how God is saving his people and redeeming the whole world than King David. Which means we can pray this prayer in the greater David's name, Jesus Christ. Which means that no matter what, our worst case scenario will no longer be the worst case scenario. Because we have Jesus and he has us and we are his forever. And so, Jesus, we ask that this indeed would be our prayer this summer. Help us to name our burdens. Give us the courage to just forthrightly name them in your presence and then release them to you. In that posture of vulnerability, could we receive what's true about us in your grace and then graciously reorient us to you. And it's in your name we pray.